Welcome. You're listening to the CMS Podcast, where legal experts and industry leaders give you key insights on current legal topics. In today's podcast, Managing Director of Token Market Technologies, Ryan Hanley, gives an introduction on security tokens. The podcast is recorded during the Tokenized Assets Conference in Amsterdam. Please visit our podcast channel for other podcasts part of the Tokenized Assets series. I'm Ryan Hanley. I'm the uh, Managing Director of Token Market Technologies in the UK. Um, Before we go into all the acronyms, which everyone seems to do within these presentations, I think the most simple thing that we do is we provide a platform, um, typically for very rapid scale growth companies to raise financing. We provide a full service for that, from distribution to arrangement to issuing tokens, all the way through to potentially realizing liquidity at a sooner and more cost efficient event. So just going a little bit wider out, we're seeing some incredible changes over the last four to eight years in terms of money moving actually from public markets to private. We see over 2.45 trillion in the next three years forecasted to come into the alternative investment space. Um, And we're seeing this really very quite interesting trend um, of money moving away from public markets and into private markets. Um, We're seeing companies staying private a lot longer Um, not having to have those reporting obligations that you need as you go public. Um, We see the likes of Uber, we see the likes of Lyft doing these kind of super IPOs 10 years after their initial inception. And we're actually seeing money um, changing quite a lot as well in terms of how they're coming into companies at these private stages. So still see a lot of money coming into Series A, more so than we've ever ever done so. But we're actually seeing quite a gap um, in the stages from B to D. And this is a, an area which is getting longer and longer. The average going from uh, four years, just about four or five years ago, to now 8.9 years. Um, and we're seeing this where these larger funds, these super funds, uh, Vision Fund and what have you, coming into play and actually going in a lot larger, a lot later, um, with a lot fewer deals as well, uh, mainly because they're looking for that one big exit when they have got that company right at the end before they go public. Um, And it's a bit of an issue, to be honest, um, for some companies. And I think if you're an early stage growth company, you have the ability to scale out very, very quickly. There's a few things which are a bit of a problem in the market at the moment, which we're very much looking to solve. The first one is, and if anyone has been part of a startup, uh, capital raising is incredibly inefficient. You spend a lot of time doing PowerPoints over the six months. You spend half your time running around trying to find the right investor, talk to the right investor, pitch the right investor, whilst you're still trying to build out a product where there's probably another 10 people waiting to eat your lunch at the same time, having to drive a team. Really inefficient and tough process, constantly on planes, constantly traveling, going to events like this, which is great, hopefully you find a few, Um, but really, really tough at that early stage, and sometimes maybe not where your, your time's best spent. Maybe this is something that could be made a little bit more efficient. Also, if you're you know, not well connected, if you're not in a big hub, like let's say San Francisco or China, you know, access to this VC money at that early stage to give you a big long runway, it's pretty tough. Um, also because these guys know they're in a very nice position, maybe you're not gonna get the best terms um, when you do sort of get that Series A type financing to allow you to build out your vision. Second, and this actually applies to, to everyone, um, there's really poor deal access for the most exciting technology startups. If we look at the last, you know, the biggest companies of the last 20 years, the Facebooks, the Googles, the Microsofts, 
um, you know, things which have really been driven by consumer adoption, you wouldn't have had a chance to actually invest in these companies for maybe 10 years or so. Guys like the benchmark capitals of the world, the Sequoias, able to identify, analyze, get in early, lock in fantastic terms. But you as a consumer who maybe saw that these are game-changing technology startups, probably using them for the last 10 years, were only really able to get access at a much later stage after all of that adoption had come in. Um, and we're starting to see that you know, maybe that's something which is a bit of an opportunity. And we've seen that within crowdfunding, some of the likes of European startups, especially the likes of Monzo, Revolut, Brewdog in the UK, building out this wider cap table at a much earlier stage, potentially being quite a big opportunity. And the third major thing that we've already sort of, uh, sort of gone into is lack of secondary market liquidity. Um, in Europe, we have 20 million SMEs, 3,000 are public, so you can go onto a public market and actually buy their shares and their stocks. Um, again, we've, we've come across this 8.2 years median time to IPO for US-based companies. And a problem not only for investors, so if you've gone in early and you know, perhaps you, you've taken a, a bit of a chance on someone who's then grown very, very quickly and you want to be able to get out, but you're kind of locked in for an eight-year period before there's really a liquid market. Um, also a massive problem for founders in terms of how they're incentivizing their teams. So as a, especially a technology company, the way that you incentivize people is typically you give them a part of the company that they're building, that they're you know, neglecting their wife and their kids <laughs> at, at night for. You lock them in with equity in the hope that they'll have an exit at a future event. Now, people have lives. Um, if you're working night and day, hoping that in eight years' time you get an acquisition um, or that you are able to actually sort of trade or you do a big IPO, um, you've got to negate against taking that big salary from somebody else. You know, if you have a really hot startup that's working well, your core team is so important to you, your CTO, your CMO, guys who are driving the business, and there's some big guys who are very happy to harvest those people off you during that stage who can probably pay three times the amount of money that you can. So if people aren't able to actually, you know, potentially cash in some of their stocks or have a liquid market to do so, it's very hard to keep those team members together. So as I say, problem for investors, problem for actual startups as well and the founders. And then we saw this transformation um, in the last two years, this incredible market that just spouted almost out of nowhere. Um, we saw 18.6 billion invested in utility tokens alone in two years. We saw a couple of quarters where ICOs were doing more investments than VCs. Um, and this investor class was retail. This was new. This was guys who had probably never rung up a broker before. Uh, guys who had never gone to something like the A market within London and bought a stock. They had this ability where they were able to access things at an earlier stage. They were able to go in. They were effectively able to invest in a, a bit of a long shot, you know, high growth companies that potentially scaled very, very quickly, building architecture. And then they had these 24-7 markets that they could trade in and out of very quickly. They had this liquidity. And these guys quite liked it. And this was, And we saw this from our own demographics. We saw... 153 different countries coming in, typically 20 to 40 years old males. As I say, we'd never actually seen come into the more traditional markets before. Now, the most exciting thing about this is these guys have all the money in about eight to nine years. Millennials coming into sort of 2022, 2024, they are used to owning portfolios on a mobile device, having a self-custodial solution, cutting out intermediaries, doing their own research, due diligence, and being able to buy into these things without having to go through intermediaries. And these will be 
the way in which you will need to deal with this new class of investor. We also saw things like Tether, 2.8 billion market cap, absolutely huge, backed all by dollars or some debt or some other bits and bobs. Very, very interesting, but we'll see how that, that kind of pans out in the next three to four years. And then we saw you know, this incredible group, and it's still a handful of companies who went to crowdfunding um, and actually said, do you know what? I want to go and get better terms. I've got a really high trajectory growth path for my company. I've built something which consumers absolutely love. And what I want to do is I want to lock them in because, believe it or not, we're a flaky generation. If something comes up and it's better and it's cheaper, we'll switch over. So these guys who are building out these products, such as Revolut, Monzo, Brewdog, for example, they decided, I'm going to go to my early supporters, my advocates, I'm going to give them a chance to actually invest in my company at an earlier stage, and I'm going to take better terms for it. I mean, Revolut, the initial guys who came into their first crowdfund, which was massively um, oversold, 19 times return already. It's pretty good that those guys are in that kind of position, some very, very happy followers. We were at a conference the other day in Money 2020 where we had um, one of the panelists ask the group, you know, who has a traditional banking card, who has a Revolut card? Everyone put your hand up who has a Revolut card. And then who would prefer to drop the Revolut card or the Lloyds card or the you know, traditional banking card? Not one person would have stayed with their traditional banking partner, which shows what drive this came through and how many sort of advocates were actually built into this platform. So why tokenization? actually helps us really sort of facilitate a number of these trends in a much more easy, cost-effective way. There's a big growth in startups looking to tokenize at an earlier stage, widen their base, actually build in liquidity of people interested in their product, lock them in, stop them from switching. Um, again, investors looking to go into sort of digital assets. And then this new infrastructure as well potentially can really help us with reducing intermediary costs, those rent seekers in the middle which make trading a little bit hard and take away some of that value from that investment you know, into these intermediaries and away from the actual founders in terms of the value of that. So a few drawbacks that we saw over the last two years, <laughs> absolutely. Um, a very limited percentage of companies can justify a utility token and sell it outside of securities laws. There's only so many sort of infrastructure plays that can be done. Very highly speculative, um, based on user figures, five to 10 years. Some of these, not a huge amount of due diligence very hard to pivot. So if you're an AI company who has effectively built your own currency, um, very hard to move away to a new infrastructure without pissing off a load of token holders. Um, and then of course, we get this traditional problem of you know, custody. It's like a bearer bond. You can lose it if someone hacks you. And then also, you know, why can't I get a certain amount of investment protection uh, in place like I would do with a traditional security and equity or a debt object, something which is backed to the actual token itself. And then we had the SEC who were on a bit of a rampage. If anyone saw the uh, paper that came out yesterday on KIN, um, super interesting. If, if you haven't read it, do read through, read the annotations of how the SEC are approaching this. Every token sale I've seen is a security. So we then saw this in 2018. And for us, it was almost like the start of the ICO market. It's gonna be the year of the security token. We're gonna tokenize everything. Um, didn't quite come to fore. Uh, people made big proclamations, built out platforms. Maybe the regulation wasn't quite there. We saw very typical to the ICO market. Um, a lot of speculative things came up. People looking to build out 100 million 
um, non-asset-backed funds to go and discover gold and oil, various other bits and bobs, not the most attractive things to go into. But we're actually seeing a lot of change coming into 2019, 2020, and I think this is really becoming a reality, and it's quite nice being in Amsterdam. In Europe, I think we have a, an incredible opportunity. I think a lot of the press focuses on what's happening in the US. Um, obviously, a, lo a lot of the large media organizations, organizations are out there, but in terms of regulation, I think we're in an incredibly interesting area right now with how we're approaching this. So one of the major things that, that we're doing at the moment is in the UK, we are in the FCA sandbox cohort four. So this is where we are looking to do effectively an issuance of equity tokens direct to um, self-accredited investors, which is under UK crowdfunding legislation. So where we can actually issue a token, which is a direct representation of equity to a shareholder. And they can hold that within a non-custodial wallet. And potentially there will be that market which we can look to allow them to trade that as we, we move on. We're able to do this. Uh, the limits have gone up from 5 million euros to 8 million euros to a public offering, which for a Series A company is a significant amount. And if you can bring in a cap table which is unencumbered, so if you register your company in the likes of the UK or Ireland, you know, you're able to have a, an unlimited amount of shareholders that you can actually distribute this to whilst you're still in private. Incredibly interesting. And we're seeing this across Europe as well as we're looking for a, a sort of a European-wide crowdfunding regulation coming in over the next sort of year or so. So this is us. Um, our background is very much working with the issuers themselves. We look at providing a place where we can provide strategy, um, we can provide the access to a sales partner network, distribution is absolutely key. We've got a good track record and we've got a pretty big audience now, so about 170,000 people registered on the site. And some of these guys who we did do token sales for actually building stuff, which is really nice to see. <laughs> We've got the likes of Dent. They have their app in 27 countries where that utility token is being used to transfer data. We have the likes of Fetch.ai who are building out some incredible AI stuff out in Cambridge. Uh, I think they're about 40 deep now, looking to sort of launch their mainnet in the next couple of months. We have Stored who are on mainnet 3.0. And then we've got Civic who are doing self-sovereign identity plays. And I think they've just uh, started doing large, if anyone went to consensus last year, there's this big beer container sort of uh, thing that you could basically go in, buy a beer via your smartphone, not have to show your driving license. So they're looking at sort of implementing that to do age verification. I think they've got about a thousand or so. They've done a, a deal with Anheuser-Busch. So actual utility tokens in the world working, building things out, which is quite nice. And, and this is what we're trying to do is this effectively full stack solution. So bring these issuers all the way from that initial growth round, issuance, help them with these various things in terms of introduction to sales partners, private sales, large public audience, help them manage those investors, um, so be able to have that platform to be able to you know, push out their notifications, you know, manage these wide cap tables in a digital savvy way. So I think it's the like of BrewDog, they have 84,000 people on their cap table after their various forms of crowdfunding. No way you don't do that for a platform. And then look to, to help with trading. Um, and liquidity, which is the, the major thing that everyone's looking at at the moment. I think the way that we, we look to do that is first get the issuance out of the way, get out of the sandbox with our own raise and a few of the companies which will come in September. Look at the private marketplaces, so where you can provide a bulletin board type area for people to be able to offer shares and to buy shares. We've already seen the likes of Cedars uh, do this. It's a lot manu more manual at the moment, but potentially move that to a more automated OTC. 
And then for us, where we've really made some sort of headway, is actually on the regulation within Europe and within Dubai. So in Dubai, we've been talking to regulators for 18 months. Um, we've been authorised now for a, a full, effectively, um, effectively a broker-dealer licence and a ranger licence. So we can do issuance out of Dubai, nine different exemptions in terms of how we handle crypto, how we handle custody, how we disintermediate, um, in view of going for a full AMI licence, which is the same licence that NASDAQ has. In Malta, um, we're putting our application in for a full MTF, which we hope to have the approval for coming into the end of the year. The reason behind this is we want to be able to have an exchange where a tokenized security can be exchanged and have liquidity in a number of different locations. So these two will be the first. Asia will probably be the next one. The US we're probably going to stay away for for a good six to eight years or so, just because of the way they, they deem securities at the moment, a few other players which are there. Um, <coughs> what, one of the big points, and, and why I try not to use too many acronyms in presentations, is um, new technology, it does not create liquidity. Markets create liquidity without supply and demand. The tokens will not trade. I think this is really important in our space. People love wrapping stuff up. Um, or I think my favorite expression is um, rolling a turd in glitter. Um, you know, repackaging something that is not good, will not sell, it is not worthwhile. It's just putting a bit of dazzle on the top. People will not buy that underlying product. We've seen a lot of this in our space at the moment, and I think it's really important that we talk about these fundamentals because liquidity, it doesn't just happen because you build out an exchange and tokenize something. The underlying structure and how that company has come to list and to be on that exchange does. So how you have liquidity is you build out a wide base of investors, you build out an interesting product, you get to consumers, and then of course, yes, you disintermediate costs, you make it easier for people to access, but it's not just building out that technology. There's a huge amount before that, before you're actually gonna gain that kind of trading volume to make things worthwhile. So just because a couple of these guys are here, a couple of the offerings that we'll look to push after we come out of the sandbox, uh, companies which we think will do quite well in this kind of space, typically direct-to-consumer, things which are really game-changing, doing something which they either have incredible user growth or building out new IP. Uh, we've got JP from Crytech who's, who's around, if you want to grab him. New IP within the cryotherapy space, already distributing to 30 different countries, 3x on their sales revenues, doing fantastically well. And knowing that this consumer base, which they can really affect, will be using their products, will potentially want to actually buy equity within their company. Um, look to actually going on the first North markets um, out of Estonia. Had everything done, prospectus, realized that the daily liquidity there was terrible. Their initial investors would not be happy if they did so. So they chose to come this route, look to go wider at an earlier stage, and then look to build that liquidity in from the ground up. And, uh, another company that we work with, Armand, um, differing reasons. They're effectively a sustainability company, so they will reward you for doing good things, purchasing the right types of companies and so on. Um, why they're tokenizing their equity is they can't be taken over by someone like a Nestle. They have to make sure they have control, they have transparency. This is about building out and feeding a movement and making sure that all of these things are clear, transparent, they know who their shareholders are, they keep control of the company, they build up their foundation model. So because Rolos is gonna kick me off very, very soon, what's next? Um, I think we need a, a pivotal moment in this industry. I think everyone's building out tech, I think there's some exciting stuff going on, but I think we really need to have um, 
one of those very, very strong companies who comes to the market, probably at a later round, maybe Series B, Series C stage, rather than going to private equity after doing well, after building out 2 million, 3 million users, and going out and saying, do you know what? The guys who've got me here, I want to give them a piece of my company, I want them to profit, and I want to tokenize it. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to the CMS podcast. Did you enjoy this podcast? Please visit our podcast channel and use the subscribe button to stay up to date on legal content. Until next time.